Welcome to the Minnesota Hospice Radio Show. My name is Ken Hagland, and I am very excited about today's program. Joining me today are three amazing colleagues that I have had the privilege of working with for several years. They are Barbara Larson, Director of Clinical Services at Minnesota Hospice. She is a registered nurse and is also a certified hospice and palliative care nurse. Next is Reverend Debbie Meckley, chaplain and spiritual care advisor. And finally, Heidi Simon, MSW, licensed general social worker, and she takes care of our hospice social work. Both Debbie and Heidi are certified in advanced care planning as honoring choices facilitators. Each of my co-hosts have extensive experiences as hospice educators and end-of-life caregivers. Thank you all for being here today. Delighted as always. Thank you. Well, as you know, we have a very special guest today and are honored to have Dr. Ira Bayak with us to talk about hospice and palliative care and the urgent need for the transformation of healthcare through end of life. Dr. Bayak is the founder and chief medical officer for the Institute for Human Caring and is a practicing physician, educator, and advocate for whole person care. He has written extensively on the ethics and practice of care and is also author of three books, including Dying Well, The Best Care Possible, and The Four Things That Matter Most. These books have reshaped how many people view the end-of-life experience. His books and writings are widely used as counseling tools and guidance within pastoral care. Dr. Bayak has over three decades of serving patients and is a leading voice for improving care through end-of-life. He brings a hopeful, inspiring message of living lives of gratitude, forgiveness, and love, and how an awareness of our own mortality can lead to finding greater fulfillment and joy in life. Dr. Bayak, welcome to our show. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Thanks for having me. I also want to mention that you are the keynote speaker at the Minnesota Network of Hospice and Palliative Care annual conference being held on Monday, April 9th, and you will be presenting on the topic, What Mortality Can Teach Us About Living. We are all looking forward to that exciting evening. Yeah, I can't wait. It's coming up soon. Yes, and, and just so that our listening audience knows, the only way you can get tickets for this amazing presentation will be going on the website of the Minnesota Network of Hospice and Palliative Care, which is mnhpc.org. That's where you can get tickets for this event, and this will sell out. So anybody interested, both professional caregiver and also lay caregiver, and the public is welcome to this event. So we're very, very excited about that. Well, Dr. Bayak, we, we live in unprecedented times where for the first time in human history, we're going to have more older people than younger people here on Earth. In fact, here in Minnesota, the state demographer's office has calculated that the shocking trend we're going to experience here for the first time in the state's history, we will have more people age 65 and older than we'll have age 18 and under. So the, there's a dramatic shift in the demographics that we have here in Minnesota, which is being echoed across the nation. Now, you have been involved in hospice care since the late 1970s. How have things changed, and where do you see it going, given the crisis that we are being confronted with now? It's a good question. Uh, 
you know, these are unprecedented times, and mostly they're good times. I mean, we're living longer than ever before. Uh, we the really power of medicine allowed us to survive with things like heart failure that used to take people away quickly. When I was growing up, kidney failure was a reliably fatal uh, event. Uh, things have changed dramatically. Nowadays, people, you know, live for uh, months, often years, sometimes decades with conditions like kidney failure and heart failure. We, we have so many therapies to bring there. Even cancer, when I was growing up, was a, a death sentence, and people would die within just really a few weeks or a month or more after a diagnosis of cancer. Nowadays, we're curing over 60% of solid tumors, and even those we cannot cure, people live with as a chronic illness for many months and sometimes years, and for most of that time, well. But because we have yet to make even one human being immortal, right. yeah. we have to confront the fact that, that things have, have, you know, that the end comes. When, when I was involved in hospice care in, in 1978-79, it was basically a social movement. Um, the leaders uh, were usually nurses uh, who were responding out of a sense of moral distress about the care that they saw dying people receive. It was... You know, often in hospitals, uh, people were dying in pain, often dying alone down the hall, maybe with a TV on. And and those nursing leaders with a few of us renegade doctors and, and chaplains and other people from the community, really, uh, got together. I should say social workers, too. My own colleague, when I developed a hospice program, was a social worker. We got together uh, early mornings, after hours, you know, school basements or churches. To, um, to develop um, fledgling programs. And gradually, a hospice matured. Uh, we uh, gathered our own medical uh, uh, expertise, our own clinical expertise, and gradually became part of the uh, mainstream health system. The Hospice Medicare Benefit, which uh, uh, was uh, a law passed in 1981, came into effect in 1983, really changed the landscape uh, dramatically. The challenge now is, I think, uh, writ large, that as hospice has become uh, clearly part of mainstream healthcare, it has been kind of routinized. It has been bureaucratized and has uh, developed its own um, challenges. Uh, the um, hospice has become an industry rather than a social movement. And I think in many regards, we've uh, wandered away from responding to the public health crisis, that illness and, and the care that people with uh, incurable conditions continue to receive still represent the day. So there's a challenge of, of um, having succeeded. We've now become the status quo that needs again to be disrupted. That's okay. some of the things we want to talk about at the conference. Great, yeah. The so, you know what? I understand what you're saying. I mean, I, I, the phrase "we've seen the enemy and they are us," I think talks about how we. You're right. We have bureaucratized this this movement, and we as an independent uh, hospice program are kind of bucking the trend with how we approach the care, and and we really do focus on what you term as whole person care. You know. What are the challenges that you see facing hospice today? 
and the things that maybe organizations like ours can do to help move that message further along? Well, I, I think that your organization and, frankly, community-owned and operated nonprofit organizations with boards of directors that are come from the community that they serve uh, is, um, is the corrective that's needed. Hospice has become an industry. The, um, now the majority of hospice programs in America are owned by corporations. Many of them are owned by uh, national corporations, are traded on Wall Street. And we know, frankly, that they've wandered from, from the mission of caring well for seriously ill and dying people and their families. Um, they have a stakeholder layer, which is their, their investors. That's been a real problem, and I, I, you know, I know many wonderful for-profit hospice programs, and I'm not, I'm trying not to to demonize them, but it is part of the the current landscape. Um, we have an opportunity to lead um, clinically and culturally in uh, providing excellent care to people who are seriously ill and family. This notion. Hospice started with a notion that we are more than our body. We are more than just our illnesses. That we have a, uh, the ability to be comfortable physically as much as, as nature allows us, but also to be uh, wanted, to feel wanted, worthy, entirely dignified through the end of life. These days, uh, know from uh, careful studies that the quality of hospice care varies dramatically from one place, country to another, one region to another, uh, and even from one uh, program to another. Uh, we need, frankly, to reclaim the uh, impetus that brought us all together as a hospice movement and really was the spark that gave rise to a very bright and hopeful field. All right. No, that's great. We are bumping up against the clock here, Dr. Bayak. We're going to take our first break. Um, but I also uh, did want to mention um, that we here around this table and the team that's associated with our community hospice, we've all worked for the Wall Street-owned hospice organizations. Been there, we've been yeah. there, done that. And um, so, again, we, we appreciate what you're saying about uh, the change that's occurred and uh, how that care uh, is structured mm -hmm. and gets delivered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, when we come back, we have uh, some more questions to ask Dr. Bayak. And we, again, appreciate the uh, listening audience. We will be back here in a few minutes. Thank you. As a family-owned business, Standard Heating and Air Conditioning has been serving the Twin Cities since 1930. A new furnace or air conditioner from Standard Heating and Air can lower your monthly utility bills, administer more consistent temperatures, and even improve indoor air quality, making your home safer and healthier for the whole family. The average heating and cooling system lasts 15 to 20 years. So if yours is on its last legs, call Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. Learn more at StandardHeatingDeals.com. Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, the comfort you deserve. 
Hi, this is Gregory Rich from Habitation Furnishing and Design, and I'd like you to tune in to a new program, Drink in the Style. Sundays at 5 p.m., Drink in the Style is going to be a one-hour conversation about interior design and aesthetics, all while enjoying a cocktail created by a local mixologist. Drink in the Style, Sundays at 5 p.m., brought to you by Habitation Furnishing and Design. With all the convenient big box stores that sell appliances, why do so many Minnesotans choose Warner Stellion? Check online to learn that Warner Stellion is a Minnesota family-owned business for over 60 years. Warner Stellion sells more brands than anyone else, and our passionate specialists are committed to impressing you so much that you'll refer us to everyone you know. That's our mission here at Warner Stellion. Ask around, check us out online, and when it's your time to buy appliances, join over 300,000 Minnesota homeowners and choose the specialists, Warner Stellion. Hi, this is Paul Metza inviting you to listen to a great new episode of the Wall of Power Radio Hour this weekend. I've got a great young band on called the Carnegies. They have a great new record out called No Signs of Warning. And identical twins, Royce and Roman Mars, are going to chat with me for the whole show. It's this Saturday night at 6 p.m. Replayed Sunday at 4 p.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Follow me at paulmetza.com. No matter what your taste, you'll find the music you're looking for at the Electric Fetus. Pick from rock, pop, international, roots music, and so much more on CD and vinyl. Or create your own compilation of favorites with the exclusive Mix and Burn CD station. Only available at the Electric Fetus. Dust off your vinyl or just make some space by turning your unwanted music into cash. The used selection changes daily, so check out the new arrivals often. 2000 4th Avenue South in Minneapolis and online at efetus.com. Guess who called me the other day? You did. Hi, Mark Sommerfeld of Computer Revolution in Roseville. I want to thank AM950 listeners who called to thank us for supporting the station. So here's an offer exclusive to 950 listeners. Bring your broken computer or cell phone to our Roseville store, say I'm an AM950 listener, and you'll receive $20 off any repair. Computer Revolution with cell phone repair, located in Roseville at Highway 36 and Fairview Avenue, or call 651-633-6600. And thanks. Once I was seven years old My mama told me Go make yourself some friends Or you'll be lonely Once I was seven years old Welcome back. You are listening to the Minnesota Hospice Radio Show. My name is Ken Hagland, and I am joined today by Barbara Larson, Director of Clinical Services at Minnesota Hospice. She's a registered nurse and is also a certified hospice and palliative care nurse, along with Reverend Debbie Meckley, chaplain and spiritual care advisor, and Heidi Simon, MSW and licensed generalist social worker. We are talking with Dr. Ira Bayak. Who is the co who's the founder and chief medical officer for the Institute of for Human Caring and is a practicing physician, educator, and advocate for whole person care. And that whole person care is something we want to talk a little bit more about in this segment, maybe throughout the rest of the show. But Heidi, as a hospice social worker, you deal with a lot of conversations with the patient, with their family. Um, friends, um, kind of the constellation that surrounds that patient. Um, 
I know you've got a couple questions here for Dr. Bayak as well. I do. Thank you. Well, again, Dr. Bayak, I just want to extend um, absolute gratitude, and it's really an honor to have you with us um, because we have really incorporated your writings and your teachings in the way in which we interact and, and do outreach in our communities. Um, so in your book, The Four Things That Matter Most, you refer to the end of life as kind of that ultimate opportunity for transformation and that really the dying are our teachers. Um, so with that legacy in mind, what is, um, in, your, in your view, what is the key to transforming that bridge between the curative approach and end-of-life care? Thanks, Heidi. I, I think it's important for people to know that uh, the, quote, end-of-life is just part of living. I, um, when we talk about it as being transformative and, and talk about the opportunities, uh, they're real, and I'll, I'll address that in just a moment, but I don't want our listeners to think that we're in some way romanticizing or glorifying or sort of, you know, painting all of this with a rosy hue. Um, serious illness and dying are hard. They're unwanted. They're often, you know, really difficult for everybody involved. Obviously, the seriously ill person is uh, maybe uh, in physical discomfort, uh, is dealing with emotional, spiritual, in, include and in interpersonal strains and stresses. But people who are dying have taught me, and probably everyone here in the in the studio, that in addition to being hard, there are opportunities for people to grow individually within themselves and together through the very end of life. I, I might not have understood that or even believed it had I not, through my clinical work, uh, been privileged to see it again and again. That when, you know, when you know that time is short, um, things fall away. The stuff that fills our outlook calendars and, you know, fills our daily lives tend to fall away. And what's left are the things that intrinsically matter most to human beings. It turns out that those things aren't, aren't tasks, they're not events, they're not material objects. The things that matter most to people in general are other people. We are hardwired to matter to one another. You know, the book that you mentioned, uh, The Four Things That Matter Most, uh, is um, makes the point, it's, it's tells stories. I've, I've, I've chosen actually pretty difficult stories for most of those uh, chapters of the book of real people who were forced by illness to face the fact that time was limited. And, and they have taught me that what often remains uh, as opportunities are saying things to people that would be left unsaid if they or we were to die suddenly today, as any of us might. Uh, I've learned that the expressions of, of forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, expressing gratitude to people and love are often uh, make it make it possible to complete relationships. So for the four things, uh, just so the listeners know, uh, are just 11 words, four sentences. Please forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. And I love you. Please forgive me and I forgive you because there hasn't been a perfect relationship in the history of our species. And let's face it. You know, even the closest and most loving relationships often have histories of hurt feelings or misunderstandings. It's, it's just normal. 
sometimes real transgressions. But we matter more to each other than our, uh, the histories of our hurt feelings and even transgressions. So please forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. And I love you. Often feels to people like, well, you know, that's just stating the obvious. But it turns out, I've witnessed time and again, that saying it out loud is the gift that keeps on giving. That Who else on the planet can, can say those things to a spouse or a child or a parent who's dying? It really, it really is something that transforms often the history of uh, a relationship and sometimes the histories of families. You know, in, in the book of the four things that matter most, I tell some stories of, of really fractured relationships that forced, to, because a serious diagnosis forces people to realize that, that time is, is limited to, to deal with this relationship. When a relationship that has fractured heals at the very end of life, the entire history is transformed. It, it, it's transformed from a broken relationship to the prelude to a happier ending, to a healthier ending. And frankly, as a physician, and you know, as many of you know, I've practiced emergency medicine for many years. Still, this this catalytic work of healing relationships is is some of the most exciting and and satisfying clinical work I've ever done. That's what I think. You know, uh, the the work that hospice care can offer to people and 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 social workers, by the way, Heidi, are, are often instrumental in just that that catalysis of healing. Well, Dr. Bayek, I'm in absolute agreement with you that um, as much as I believe that social workers can be a help, I really look at all of our patients and their families as our teachers on a daily basis. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. Um, and I, I wanted to extend a little bit in terms of that conversation of stories because you've shared that gift of stories as a way to engage and empower and create a connection in our communities and really around the world. And I'm wondering what your advice would be in furthering community awareness and, and the understanding of this very inevitable and important and um, meaningful time that we call end of life. Stories of our from our families, uh, stories uh, people tell of their youth, the stories that you want pe your children and your grandchildren to know are really treasures, and they are heirlooms, if you will, uh, far more important than passing on a piece of jewelry, as, as precious as that might be, are passing on the stories uh, that bind us together as families. They're, they're part of of the ethos, part of the uh, threads that, that bind families together across generations. So I, I think, you know, stories are important on so many levels. They're important, uh, as I just mentioned, from within families. But as the part of our work within hospice and palliative care that seeks to transform and, uh, our culture, stories are key to those efforts. Because I think that we talk about things like opportunities through the end of life and healing that's possible, and it feels very abstract to people. I, I can imagine people listening to us today are thinking, yeah, well, whatever. 
<laughs> but but uh, it sounds very, you know, very woo-woo kind of, you know, and, and uh, yeah. new agey and, oh, uh, I don't know, maybe spiritual or religious. And, and, and yet the stories of real people expand the realm of our ability to imagine that these things are actually possible. Stories resonate with us. That's how human beings uh, think and learn. And so, uh, in our in our cultural awareness campaigns and our in our community engagement, those stories are um, beyond valuable. They are they are the stuff of of cultural and and community maturation. Well, thank you, Dr. Bayak. We are up against the clock here for the end of this segment. Um, we have seen just to reiterate here. We have seen generational healing. We have seen things that nobody had predicted would happen because of the opportunity that end of life creates. We will be right back after a short break to continue our conversation with Dr. Ira Bayak. Hi, it's Tom Hartman. You know, Continental Diamond is special for a lot of reasons. The owners are Jimmy and Helene Pessis, a husband and wife team who had a dream to open their own store more than 30 years ago. They've built a business that is the gold standard. The readers of Minnesota Bride Magazine have named Continental Diamond the best jeweler for the last seven years. Why? Amazing, friendly, no-pressure customer service, a selection of fine diamonds and designed jewelry unlike anywhere else, and the fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies are pretty great, too. Continental Diamond in St. Louis Park and at ContinentalDiamond.com. Crazy about pets? We are too. The Pet Connection Show is a great venue for fun, informative, and creative conversations about pets. Join myself, Kathy Menard, and Dr. Nicole Parole, along with guests who are leaders in the dynamic and growing pet industry, as we discuss healthcare, relationships, behaviors, and even political issues as they relate to our pets. So come, sit, stay for the Pet Connection Show, Sundays 11 a.m. to noon on AM 950 Radio, the progressive voice of Minnesota. The Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe is ready for the cold. Serving seasonal dishes using locally sourced ingredients, Minnesota craft beers, and organic wines. Their delicious vegetarian, vegan, and omnivorous menu options are sure to satisfy. New items include the cauliflower po'boy, harvest chili, braised beef tostada, and the pork banh mi, as well as rotating seasonal vegetables and pasta. Sustaining a healthy community, you will find Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe at 2601 East Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis and online at coopcreamery.coop. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. This is Bill McLeslie, owner of IP House. When you got your computer, you heard that it all works together seamlessly. You just need to connect the printer to the Bluetooth on the router? Does your business struggle with technology? Our mission is to make technology simple. We provide tech support for businesses just like yours. We help you take control of your technology with support in plain English. If your technology has the better of you, call us. 612-337-6337. With spring, it's car wash season. 
Thank goodness for the Luther Advantage program from Rudy Luther Toyota. Not only do I save 10 cents off per gallon of gas at holiday station stores, but I also get big discounts on car washes. And with free two years of maintenance with every new Toyota purchased, I can get my oil change and spring service done with the best service and maintenance department at Rudy Luther Toyota. Clear your spring checklist with great service from Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Today will be snowy with half an inch possible, highs near 28. Tonight, mostly clear with low around 11. Sunday, sunny with a high near 34. And Sunday night, mostly clear with a low around 21. Monday, a 70% chance of snow with highs near 35. EatLocalMinnesota.com's Restaurant of the Week is Milda's Cafe, a family-owned restaurant featuring home-cooked style breakfast and lunch with hot dish specials every day. Located at 1720 Glenwood Avenue in Minneapolis, just east of Bend. This is AM 950, KTNF, St. Louis Park, Minneapolis, St. Paul. The progressive voice of Minnesota. Once I was seven years old, my mama told me, go make yourself some friends or you'll be lonely. Once I was seven years old. Welcome back. You are listening to the Minnesota Hospice Radio Show. My name is Ken Haglund, and I am joined today by Barbara Larson, Director of Clinical Services at Minnesota Hospice. She is a registered nurse and also a certified hospice and palliative care nurse, along with Reverend Debbie Meckley, Chaplain and Spiritual Care Advisor, and Heidi Simon, MSW and Licensed Generalist Social Worker. We are talking today with Dr. Ira Bayak, who is the founder and chief medical officer for the Institute for Human Caring and a practicing physician, educator, and advocate for whole person care. And speaking of whole person care, we want to talk this segment a little bit more about the spiritual side. And uh, Debbie Meckley, our chaplain, will kick off uh, some questions for Dr. Bayak. Yeah, uh, Dr. Bayak, again, thank you for being here with us. Uh, much gratitude. Um, you know, we use the tools from your book, The Four Things That Matter, most every single day in our um, service work. And um, it's just, it's a powerful yet gentle way to open up conversations, not just for the patient, but for the family, because there's that D word out there that nobody quite wants to talk about. And that leaves the patient, uh, the person at end of life in a very lonely place when, when nobody wants to have those conversations. So I love that we have uh, that tool to open, open that up and um, to create some freedom there. We talk a lot about um, a good death, and actually we do... Uh, some work out in the community on what it is to have a good death and that living actually, like you say, living is dying and um, taking it kind of on a broader spectrum that while we're healthy, if we're living better, we will have a better death. You know, it goes to forgiveness and having those conversations and um, uh, while we're in good health, where we're living, that we actually can use death as an advocate, as our advisor uh, while we're in this living place. So um, I guess I would ask you to maybe expound a little bit on how we can be better now, you know, so that we're creating something different here as we're moving into these critical times. We, we have to do something before we get ill. Would you agree? Well, of course, absolutely. I, I wrote the four things that matter most um, to uh, bring lessons from people I've learned who are facing the end of life into any day uh, of any time of our life. You know, I, w I was once uh, be asked uh, on air uh, during a, a radio interview uh, 
um, who you know, Dr. Payak, uh, I read your book, The Four Things That Matter Most. It's it's uh, you know it's quite good. But um, tell me, who is your target uh, demographic? Who who is your audience? <laughs> And, 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 you know, I, I we we're, we're doing drive time radio and I'm on air and I, I thought, well, you know, I, I guess uh, I wrote it for anyone who's mortal um, or humans, human beings, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, you know, if our listeners don't consider the, themselves mortal, if they think they're immortal. Well, if you love someone who's mortal, you're still kind of at risk on any given day. <laughs> I think so. Of, of, of losing opportunities to say the things that might be left unsaid. So. You know, why wait, right? You know, um, thousands of people will die today in America in car accidents. They didn't think they were dying when they left home this morning. Right. But, but today, just, just like that, they'll lose opportunities to say things to people they love, um, which will, you know, remain unsaid. Why wait? So, you know, um, people ask me, well, what happened to goodbye? You know, when I wrote Dying Well, my first book, um, it, it, I talked about the five things. Please forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. I love you. And goodbye. But I realized that, you know, we don't have to say goodbye for these other four things to have value. Because on any given day, we might die. And if we were to say those things and lose the opportunity to say goodbye, there is still this sense of, you know, there's nothing critically important that we left unsaid. You know, the, the fact is that that actually happened to me. Uh, my mom, Ruth Bayak, uh, died suddenly uh, uh, the eve of Thanksgiving in 2003. Um, and, um, and there would have been many things left unsaid between she and I had it not been for the fact that she had read the galleys for the four things that matter most. It wasn't published yet, but, but I gave my mom, you know, the, the, the pre-publication manuscript. And so she and I had to have the talk. I mean, we had stuff to say to one another and, and then I didn't, I obviously didn't know she was dying. She was actually in good health and then died suddenly. And I reflect on that commonly because um, there was a lot of stuff to say. I, I had a lot to ask forgiveness for. I drive that, drove that poor woman crazy during my you know, late adolescence and, and, and early adulthood. Um, and frankly, uh, I had some things to forgive her for. She was the, you know, she was the quintessential Jewish mother and, and, you know, could be overbearing. And, you know, there, there was some stuff there. Um, but mostly I wanted to express my deep gratitude and my love for her, that has been an enduring gift to, um, to me, I, I, I feel. Uh, I would be carrying that stuff around had we not been able to have that conversation. So my question, you know, is why wait? We know we're mortal. Um, uh, if, we say, if we leave nothing left unsaid, then in, in the process we can mend and tend and nurture the relationships that matter most to us. Yeah. You know, you've got me thinking, too, about my own experience with my mom when she passed. And it's one of these questions, you know, I didn't know at the time that only 2.5% um, of Americans die conscious. And she chose to die conscious. 
and um, I that re came up for me in a training that I did watching one of your case studies of um, uh, the woman who chose to die conscious and um, uh, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about dying conscious in this country and uh, what that what that means to you I mean how what do we what do we do for that well I, I'd love to know more about how you define dying conscious or consciously um, I um, I think being aware of how precious and yet fleeting life is being aware that ultimately we matter to each other deeply uh, allows us to with with an open heart with full honesty and integrity um, live our lives fully through the very end of life. Uh, I, from my perspective, uh, I, I actually uh, virtually never use the term good death because I think it kind of objectifies death and, and it also kind of confuses death, which is clearly a lifeless state beyond this life, with dying, which is actually the 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 end of the, the the last phase or last stage of life but it is dying is part of living right uh, i i much prefer the term dying well mm -hmm. and i use that term because uh um, when you hear the term dying well many people hear the word well as an adjective uh, excuse me as an adverb modifying the way people die which is fair enough it is but it's so interesting to hear that word well as an adjective uh, describing the person who is dying. Can somebody die well? Can we be well within ourselves during the last stage, days, hours of our lives? My observations as a doctor are that, yes, yeah, some people are clearly able to experience a sense of well-being while knowing that their life is fleeting, that this may be the last week or day or even moments of their lives. And to experience that, to see that, is really uh, one of the more remarkable observations or, or uh, privileges I've had to witness uh, in, in caring for people. And again, I'm, I'm trying not to romanticize this. Dying is not wanted. It's hard. Life is precious. But... But I have seen this, and this this is part. I'm not. This is not philosophy. This is anthropology. <laughs> you know, this is part of the human condition. Um, that's that's what I think. You know, people. Uh, so often, when you say to, to people who you meet at a party or on a uh, you know on a plane sitting next to them or something, and they and and they hear you work in hospice care, they say, "Oh, bless your heart. Oh, you, oh, you must be an angel." <laughs> But the fact is that we have this deep privilege of witnessing things that most people cannot hardly imagine. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, because there's, it is, I've seen it too, and it's that higher consciousness that we can come to, that human connection that we give one another, and we come out of self, and we just get present right then and right there, and um, it is a beautiful thing to witness, and, um, you know, I, you may look forward to the weekend at times, weeks, you know, the weeks are long and, and sometimes get um, hard and draining, but when you sit in the quiet moments with yourself, it's just fulfillment. So thank you. Thank you for that. Oh.
You're well, welcome. Thank you. Um, Dr. Black, we are fast approaching the uh, end of this segment here. We have one more segment left, and we hope you can stay with us. Um, Be but, pleased to. Uh, Debbie Meckley, thank you very much for that and that uh, spiritual care side of the of the interdisciplinary approach that we take here as hospice professionals. Um, so anyway, uh, please stay with us. We are coming back for our final segment with Dr. Ira Bayak. Once I was seven years old. The Spring St. Paul Art Crawl, presented by the St. Paul Art Collective, will be running April 27th, 28th, and 29th. This is a must-do experience that you will love. Over the weekend, you'll have the chance to explore a wide variety of art while touring through local artist studios, lofts, and galleries, hosting over 350 artists. Up for purchase will be paintings, photography, pottery, sculpture, fiber arts, and more. The Art Crawl sprawls over 34 locations. Join the Art Crawl and discover outstanding art for you to own. When you buy local art, you're providing to artists so that they may continue to create the art we love. The Metro Transit is supporting the local art community with free transit passes. Download your pass to ride buses and light rail for free during the Art Crawl. Be sure to get details at thestatepaulartcrawl.org. That's thestatepaulartcrawl.org. Hi, this is Gregory Rich from Habitation Furnishing and Design, and I'd like you to tune in to a new program, Drink in the Style. Sundays at 5 p.m., Drink in the Style is going to be a one-hour conversation about interior design and aesthetics, all while enjoying a cocktail created by a local mixologist. Drink in the Style, Sundays at 5 p.m., brought to you by Habitation Furnishing and Design. The fine folks at Common Good Books will help you find the perfect book for you or the book lover in your life. Find a huge selection from a locally owned and independent bookseller in the Twin Cities. They are always bringing in top authors from around the globe for special in-store events. Open Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Sundays, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Find Common Good Books at 38 South Snelling Avenue in St. Paul or shop online at commongoodbooks.com. Believe it or not, it's time for spring cleaning. Okay, it's a little bit early to call it spring cleaning, but it's your last chance to save huge on carpet cleaning from Zero Res. With their patented powered water, your home will smell fresh and clean and not like a janitor's chemical closet. And this month, you can get three rooms Zero Res clean starting at $129. Plus, this month, you can still get a great deal when you get your air duct Zero Res clean. Call 952-ZERO-RES or visit ZeroResMN.com. Zero Res, spell it backward or forward, it spells the same. The local advertisers you hear on AM 950 are the lifeblood of the station. If you find yourself regularly tuning in, or if you appreciate the diversity of content we deliver, please take the time to support our advertisers. Even if it's just to thank them for backing AM 950, your voice and support can go a long way. Help keep the station going strong while investing in our local community. Find the complete list of on-air supporters by visiting the advertisers page at am950radio.com. That's am950radio.com.
Welcome back. You are listening to the Minnesota Hospice Radio Show. My name is Ken Hagland, and I am joined today by Barbara Larson, Director of Clinical Services at Minnesota Hospice. She's a registered nurse and also a certified hospice and palliative care nurse, along with Reverend Debbie Meckley, Chaplain and Spiritual Care Advisor, and Heidi Simon, MSW and Licensed Generalist Social Worker. We are talking with Dr. Ira Bayak, who is the founder and chief medical officer for the Institute for Human Caring and a practicing physician, educator, and advocate for whole person care. I want to mention that uh, uh, Dr. Bayak will be the keynote speaker at the Minnesota Network of Hospice and Palliative Care Annual Conference being held on Monday, April 9th. And he will be presenting What Mortality Can Teach Us About Living. We're all looking forward to that. Tickets can be found at mnhpc.org. In this last segment, uh, Barbara Larson, our Director of Clinical Services, has some questions that she wants to uh, have a conversation with Dr. Bayak on. Oh, I actually have a couple questions, but I will do my best to keep it narrowed down here. Um, you know, working with um, end-of-life care for 15 years that I've been doing has just been such a honor and a blessing for me. And um, before we get to the very end, Ira, I really want to thank you um, for being the advocate that you are uh, for trying to transform what end-of-life care looks like. Um, that's what excites us in our Minnesota hospice is that we feel we we are trying to transform it too. Uh, so my question obviously is going to be a little more clinical, um, but it's, it's something that... Uh, I come across all the time with our families, and that relates to morphine and pain and everyone's fear with using morphine, if that's something that needs to be used and end of life. Uh, you know, we're faced every day, we, we hear on the radio, we're just bombarded anymore, it seems like, with this opioid crisis that our country is in. So there's lots of talk. People are hearing this on the news daily, almost daily. And, um, you know, if you have any advice for me as a clinician on um, a good way, I guess, a gentle way, uh, you know, I advocate for educating our families. I, I believe our nurses are very well educated on it. But, you know, when you still have a media source that just keeps bombarding and people with this information, how do you combat that, Ira? Oh, it's become ever more difficult, hasn't it? Yes, we, it has. We had, we had almost um, uh, extinguished this notion of uh, opioid phobia or this problem of opioid phobia. People were much more accepting uh, of the um, value of, of uh, pain medications like um, morphine and, and all of the other opioids. And now they... They have become such a, a scourge in America with the uh, crisis of opioid addiction and, and overdoses. So it, it's really hard. Um, I, you know, like every other clinical encounter, I start by listening and and acknowledging people's fears and uh, uh, accepting that uh, these are uh, real concerns for um, people about themselves or their loved ones. And, and as they feel heard, then I um, offer a, a different perspective that uh, these medications have been used for you know many centuries. They are naturally occurring. Morphine is actually a, derived from a plant. Um, and that we evolved as human beings um, with 
receptors in our nervous system, in our brains and in our, the rest of our nervous system to uh, make use of these uh, plant medicines, um, that these things uh, of themselves are not bad, quite the contrary. They're actually very good. They can be used for, um, for purposes that are bad. Um, and, and the you know similarities uh, are frankly with uh, a lot of medications. If used inappropriately, they can be dangerous. But used appropriately, uh, they are helpful. You know, even alcohol. A little bit of alcohol has been shown to actually improve one's uh, cardiovascular well-being. Um, may help us, you know, our general physical health. But obviously, an excess of alcohol will will destroy your liver and in so many ways is, is bad for you. Right. Similarly, you know, when used under, under careful circumstances and, and supervision by a healthcare team, uh, morphine and other similar pain medications are a godsend. Um, and I, I just, you know, work with people to, um, to address their concerns, to ensure them that we will not allow them to become addicted, that, um, when when used under these circumstances, people tolerate these medications very, very well, uh, and that if their condition improves and that their and their pain diminishes, we can easily diminish and and actually wean them from these medications without them having long time long term addiction problems. Yeah, thank you. Um, we have about three minutes two and a half to three minutes left here. I, I just wanted to approach on one other subject here too. Um, uh, I watched, I've watched your videos too, your YouTube videos and I just thoroughly enjoy them. Would encourage our viewers even to get online and look at any of your YouTube videos. But um, in one of them, you talked about uh, palliative sedation. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you could just, Briefly, I know we don't have much time left, yeah. but I know uh, some of the families that we encounter feel like we are ending their loved one's life when we increase a, a dose of, of, of a narcotic because we are seeing them uncomfortable. Um, give me your thoughts on that. Sure. So, so you know, palliative sedation is, is an um, extraordinary uh, type of treatment for people whose pain or other source of physical distress cannot be alleviated with usual uh, pain medications or other other therapies. Um, it's, it's not used commonly, but when palliative sedation is needed, it, it almost must be used. Uh, otherwise, we're abandoning people to die suffering, die in agony, which right. these days is simply not necessary. This is not euthanasia or assisted suicide, uh, two things that I have written and spoken extensively about being in opposition to. Yeah. This, is, this is simply bringing intensive medical treatment to a situation in which people are otherwise suffering. And it is using um, medications in a proportionate fashion to address and alleviate people's pain or breathing problems or their uh, agitation. Uh, and it, it really must be distinguished from, um, from hastening people's deaths. In fact, the, the literature, the studies have shown that a proportionate palliative sedation does not shorten people's uh, lives and, and cause their deaths. It simply allows people to die in a gentle, respectful way, a way that honors their inherent dignity. 
So as a physician, I, I think that while it should be seen as extraordinary treatment, it, it, it is fully within the um, ethical and clinical bounds of good care. Thank you, Ira. Dr. Byock, yes, Dr. Byock, thank you so much for your time today. We are up against the clock, and uh, we would love to have you on in a future show. We look <laughs> well, forward to hearing you. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Well, this has been this has been a pleasure, and I so look forward to being back in Minnesota. Thanks We're going to run up and meet you, so we'll you'll see you'll meet us. <laughs> we want autographs in our books. That's right. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the Minnesota Hospice Radio Show, and until next time, live like you're dying. Downtowner Woodfire Grill in St. Paul is a perfect choice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Offering daily fresh seafood specials, fire-roasted meats, exquisite pizza, and half-priced bottles of wine on Mondays and Tuesdays, except on Excel Energy Center event nights. Once you experience their cozy fireside dining, extensive wine list, and bar, you'll be back for more. Gift certificates available, located at 253 West 7th Street with plenty of free parking, or online at downtownerwoodfire.com. Hi, this is Paul Metza inviting you to listen to a great new episode of the Wall of Power Radio Hour this weekend. I've got a great young band on called the Carnegies. They have a great new record out called No Signs of Warning. And identical twins, Royce and Roman Mars, are going to chat with me for the whole show. It's this Saturday night at 6 p.m. Replayed Sunday at 4 p.m. on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Follow me at paulmetza.com.